Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Welcome back, Jocelyn. And uh, I want to welcome you back with a bit of a choice. Um, oh. Yeah. This is going to be a tough one. I didn't give you any time to study ahead of time. There was a one rogue link in the notes, but I didn't expect you to click on it. You might have seen this on Twitter, though. <laughs> I um, did. <laughs> you have one opportunity to cancel the apocalypse, but you have to go see Sonic <laughs> Movie 2. What do you do? Oh, this! I was so excited with the first half of the title I saw on Twitter because it was literally like Idris Elba. And I'm like, yes, I'm in. I am down. Let's do it. Joins the Sonic movie cast. No, why? I think you'll make a great Knuckles. <laughs> it was a roller coaster of emotions. Let me tell you. <laughs> I just, yeah, he's he's so fabulous. I know he'll be great in any role that he chooses. So I am I am a huge fan. I am down for him. It's good. But you could not pay me enough money to go see this movie. Like, you really couldn't. <laughs> I think that when you think of the other actors that are in this and you picture, just picture this, um, you can close your eyes if you don't want to picture uh, a red, um, I guess he's, I guess Knuckles is an, an echidna. Um, picture a red echidna, uh, you know, smart mouthing uh, uh, Jim Carrey's Robotnik. I mean, come on. Like, does that not sound like a good Saturday afternoon? No. Okay. <laughs> tried, everybody. I don't know why I tried. I mean, but... I know you're going to see it and you're going to like it because you're Ryan and you like everything. True. So, I mean, <laughs> you'll come back and you'll tell me it's great. And then probably eventually you and a couple of other friends will wear me down and I'll go and see it. And it'll be just like the first one where you guys are just tainted by children. <laughs> <laughs> like you're so used to watching Paw Patrols that when you hit a movie your kids can watch that isn't Paw Patrol, you're down. And I have higher standards than that right now, Ryan. I, higher standards. <laughs> I mean, didn't we wait a minute? Didn't we do an episode where you described all the shitty reality TV you watch? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's my standards, and Sonic doesn't meet it. Oh, out. okay, good, touche, uh, good, good, uh, good. Come, I'm actually floored by that. It's true. It's all good. If you want to put Sonic underneath, you know, whatever reality TV show we Too were talking hot about, to handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. I could take it. You know what? Um, it's not. It's an okay movie, and it's gonna get an okay sequel. But if it's got more Jim Carrey with a wacky mustache, I'm down for it. So uh, yeah, have they said like is is the whole cast for the second movie the same, and then they're just adding adding the Tails character and Idris Elba to that? Yeah, I think that's kind of where we're at right now. And there was a leak a year ago where they had sort of uh, so when they're doing movies that have a lot of CG characters, they'll often they'll often do stand-ins with real people, but one of the leaks was a stand-in of like a a full-size model of the the Sega characters like Sonic, Tails and and Knuckles. So we we kind of had an idea Knuckles was going to be in it, but you know, Tails was confirmed at the end of the first one. Um but Oh, right, know. right, right. I forgot. Yeah, they're they're two different characters. I was getting confused. Yeah, Tails is the one with with two tails, so right, which was the teaser at the end of the first one, right? Yeah, and then Knuckles has look. I'm not gonna say that Team Sonic had a, this amazing like they they kind of figured like okay, we'll name Sonic the Hedgehog, and then how are we gonna name these other two? Well, this guy has two tails, we'll call him Tails. This guy has uh, Knuckles, we'll call him Knuckles. Like they, did, you know, and there's Big the Cat. <laughs> they didn't really break the mold. No, they didn't. In their naming conventions. Then they did like Amy, 
the the female <laughs> hedgehog and then they did uh what was the other one um rose the bat so again like they spent all their marketing budget on sonic and they just had to like kind of figure out the rest on their own yeah so, anyways well yeah. yeah like i say i'm sure you'll like it i i do think that idris elba is a ridiculously talented actor so i'm sure he'll be he'll be great and i mean i i never blame any of them for going for a payday because that's what this is so yeah i think it'll be fine it's fine it's fine but yeah that's sonic money man come on oh yeah seriously uh so i mean i have i have no good segue from sonic into uh my like time off but um i did want to talk about a purchase that i made because it's like totally messed up my PC gaming. <laughs> so I bought an ultra wide monitor because oh. I I had been uh, I had been playing on like a dual monitor setup. And I was like, you know what? I wanted I needed to figure out my desk space. I just started a new job. They gave me like a laptop for that. Plus, I have my laptop for school and I have my like desktop for the podcasting and gaming and whatever. So I was like, I need to figure out how to make my desk, like my desk space work better. I know I'll get one ultra wide for my gaming PC and then I'll put my other monitor over on the side and that'll be um, shared between my two laptops. This will be great. Turns out that um, curved ultra wide monitors trigger the same thing in my head that VR does. So I started playing Dead by Daylight and almost threw up. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm almost used to it. I've had it for about a week now. I'm almost used to it. And I've been trying to play something that has like a little bit of fast motion in it every day just to try and like kind of condition my brain and I also moved the monitor further back on the desk because I think that was another thing is it was taking up too much of my of my vision. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't believe it because I'm like, I've I've had a two or three monitor setup for like as long as I can remember. Like as soon as I started doing GIS work, like back in the mid 2000s, like I got multiple monitors because that was just, you know, you needed multiple monitors to do that kind of like analysis and whatever. So I had a multiple monitor set up for the longest time and uh, I, I didn't think this would be any different, but there's a huge difference, a huge difference when you like have that extra like viewing space in your games. Like I think I actually have to like make the games I play windowed and so that they only take up like 1080, like 1920 by 1080 in the middle of the screen and like save the outsides for like discord and, and streaming and whatever. Like, I couldn't believe it, Ryan. It's so weird. <laughs> like, it's so weird that I was actually debating going back to my previous setup and then using my ultra wide monitor for like spreadsheets for work. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I never dabbled with ultra wide. I, I ended up getting um, this was a few years ago. I ended up getting like a gaming monitor, which was a, a 1440p monitor. So just a step, a couple steps below 4K, but a, but a bump above 1080p. Yeah, that's what this one is. It's it's 1440 by 3000 and something. 
Yeah, I think the struggle you're going to see is with games supporting, like, properly supporting ultra-wide. Yeah, Hearthstone just gave up. It sounds like Dead by Daylight might. Yeah, no, Dead by Daylight was actually fine, but um, as soon as I opened Hearthstone, it just has, like, two black bars on the end. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, no, we we gave up. We're not even doing a graphic for this. <laughs> what are you doing playing Hearthstone on a monitor like this? Do you yeah. know we're a children's card game? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I've never I've never dabbled with ultra wide. I just know that a lot of folks who have have talked about it. I know uh, uh, John Jagger had one, and he was talking about it a lot on Core back when they were playing Heroes of the Storm. And I think it was there were some games that supported it really well, and other games where it's just like, nah, you're gonna display these you know black bars on each side. And I think a majority of games do support the ultra wide, but I think where you're gonna run into issues like were you playing. Um, you know, in terms of it uh, giving you motion sickness, was it when you were playing a killer or survivor or both? A survivor, survivor. And I found that it was like difficult for my brain to process like the extra information. Because <laughs> mm. I almost wondered if it was like first person, if it was just your eye, because the thing about VR is it tries to, you know, overlap your entire view site. This way you're more immersed. So I wonder mm-hmm. if the curved monitor was just like, because if it was first person, you, you just couldn't see past the monitor. So you're right, like moving it back a bit. So you get like the surrounding of the monitor a bit more. Because computer monitors, you you do tend to, and I, I always have mine far back because I just don't like the strain on my eyes, especially if I'm working on them all day. But a lot, I've had a lot of people comments like, how do you play video games with the monitor so far? I was like, I'm a console gamer, you know, we're used to having five feet. So like a foot and a half is like, oh boy, <laughs> you know, it's a little too much sun. But I think that's where moving the monitor back is is a good approach to, to slowly get used to it. But yeah, you must have a lot of desk space if you can put three monitors comfortably. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So I have like an L-shaped desk that's like probably, I think it's like five feet along each wall. Oh, so yeah. it's. Yeah, so it's it, I have quite a lot of like surface area, <laughs> but trying to find a, a, enough room for like all of my podcasting equipment and then the monitors and then multiple keyboards and mice and, and hard drives. And like, it's just oh, man, it's just a lot. So, yeah, I thought, <laughs> you know, getting rid of some of the extra stuff like my um my standing desk thing and my monitor mounts and all the rest of it. I was like, if I just consolidate this stuff a little bit it'll be great and yeah i got some nausea for my efforts (laughs) but uh but i'm getting used to it i'm getting used to it but uh yeah the game i played this week didn't really um well i mean like it it supports it fine it's just um it's it's not a a kind of a, a game that has any of that like motion to it so um i played another uh like civilization type strategy game a uh, simulation game called Atomic Society. So this one popped up on my Steam because it just came out of early access, I guess, on Monday. It's been uh, it released in 2018 and it's only just now come out of its uh, it's like I said, it's early access. And the thing that caught my eye is that all of the reviews for it were mostly positive, but then the recent reviews are very positive. So I was like, okay, it came out of early access. Like, let's see what this is all about. And it's okay. I think that maybe my, um, like my sim bar 
got set so high with Frostpunk that now any, because basically the the idea is this is another post-apocalyptic, you have to rebuild society game. And, uh, you know, we've also just played Imagine Earth, which Ryan, I know you're going to talk about a little bit later today as well. And like, just there are so many games in this space now that I feel like my my bar is pretty high, even in the indie space. And so this game I found, instead of focusing necessarily on like, I don't want to say like depth, but like there's not a very big tech tree. The like laws that you enact because it makes it does the same sort of thing as um, Frostpunk did, where you have to make laws for your new society because obviously the the apocalypse happened. So, you know, you're you're creating stuff from scratch. So you have to make laws. It has that in common with Frostpunk. Um, and then you have to, like, build your city and you have to salvage the world around you. And, you know, it has all of those kind of, like, tick boxes that it's checking. But none of them were particularly deep. However, it does seem like they have a fairly robust like map system and there's a lot of different places to build although it didn't seem like the climate because I chose I was like you know what I always choose like forest next to a lake you know lots of resources fresh water like easy peasy terrain so this time you know what I'm gonna pick the snow-capped mountain I'm gonna you know have mountainous terrain covered in snow let's see if that makes a difference And all of the worlds had like their own descriptor of like, here's some challenges in the area. But then the challenges didn't really seem to manifest themselves in any meaningful way. I was kind of freaking out when I started my city because um, you have like speeds from pause through six. And so it can't, the game kept unpausing. Like I paused the game so that I could go up and get a drink and I came back down and it was like on one again. So I'd like lost four people that just died. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) So, but, but it also had gone like on, on speed number one, I was on like day 25 or something. And I had built no buildings. I hadn't salvaged anything and only four people died. I'm like, there, there isn't a good relationship. And that was one thing that I liked about Frostpunk is it felt like things took a realistic-ish amount of time. You know, like if you didn't feed your population for a couple of days, like people were going to start getting very sick. <laughs> and, you know, but there doesn't seem to be that sort of weight. Like I'll send my main person because you have a town leader. That's kind of your controllable character, I guess, because you can zoom right down in and like WASD your way around your town. But I never felt the the kind of need to do that. It was kind of weird why they would give you that sort of like down in the streets functionality when it didn't seem to actually really do anything. Um, I spent like 99.9% of my game time up at the higher level And I did that because um, just everything is around like salvaging things or building your buildings or managing um, like workers in your building. But again, it doesn't have as many tools as I would like. Like it kept popping up with notifications that would say something along the lines of like, not all of your food buildings have power. And I'd be like, okay, 
which ones are my food buildings and which ones aren't powered. And there was no way to to kind of get that information because some of the buildings, when you power them, they'll light up at night. But it's also, again, not an actual day-night cycle because then it would be flashing so much you'd give yourself epilepsy because the timer goes by so quickly. Um, but yeah, it's like when the sun or like it just randomly kind of goes to darker hours for some reason and then some of your buildings will light up but not all powered buildings light up at night so like it's just it's a very um i don't know i i i hate to call it like lacking depth or surface level or whatever but the systems do feel like um like they don't matter as much necessarily like they kind of looked at a game like Frostpunk and went oh people like to make their own laws let's add some things in here and they're like they made me a little bit uncomfortable too like some of the like social issues like one of the social issues is like homosexuality and then it's like People feel better when they come out of the closet. But if we allow this kind of activity, then our population's not going to grow. And I'm like, I don't like how you've kind of phrased this. <laughs> and like the actions that you can take to enact laws are you have six choices and the six choices are the same for every single thing. And the advice from your advisors is the same for every single thing. So it'll say like, you can, um, if you have like an, um, uh, oh, what's it called? A punishment center or something. You can hang people or whip people. Then if you build a prison, you can choose short prison sentences or long prison sentences. And then if you um, have an information center, you can either tolerate or encourage it. So those are your choices for every single thing. And everything, it ranges from like, stealing to murder to like I said homosexuality which is weird and like you know just they they chose a lot of like social issues that were like I think way too like first of all nuanced and second of all their take on the social issues seemed really bad <laughs> like I don't know I was just oh man it was just so that part of the game I thought was really off-putting because not only did it not really matter but also I was like your phrasing of this stuff is making me feel icky. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just, so there was like that part of it too that I was just like, oh man, this is so I just kind of chose to like not engage with that and see what their other systems were like. Um, but even then, like, so for murder, murder is one that I was like, okay, let's pick an actual like, uh, like consequence for if you kill somebody. Um, and then it didn't really like, matter matter like basically it just said if you make the punishment super severe then it doesn't happen anymore in your society and if you make if you encourage it which is kind of the other end of the scale so you can either hang people and then it will basically never happen or you can encourage it and it will happen more more often and so, like but again that didn't really seem to have very many consequences within the actual gameplay itself like because your population grows through migration like that is the the biggest thing is like if you build a good town that you know can uh, provide enough housing and food and water and um entertainment uh there's five things what's the other one? Oh, health and sanitation so if you can provide enough of those things and if your bars like there's like a meter in the bottom left hand corner that shows you how you're doing and 
it's split into thirds and it'll say like, if you're in the bottom third of the bar, people are going to start dying. If you're in the top third of the bar, people are ecstatic and will basically like spread the word. So again, most of your population growth comes from spreading the word to other survivor camps that this city is awesome and they should try to move here. And that's where your growth comes from. So again, your policies specifically don't really impact the number of people in your town. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It was definitely a mixed bag, I think. And if you're looking for something that is like a like city builder simulation kind of a game, I think that there's ones that have more tools, that have a more interesting world, and that you're probably going to enjoy a whole lot more than Atomic Society. Like, it was fine. It didn't crash. Like, it functioned well done, but um, it left something to be desired in both, like, the story and lore of the world and also, um, like, just the way the controls. I'm curious. Like, I was looking at screenshots, and uh, does it look better in motion because it no okay because i was gonna say the graphics do not look that great um no no the graphics are very much like they, it reminded me especially since I, the level that i was playing at like the zoom level that i was playing at very much felt like um reminded me of like when i used to play simcopter in the 90s <laughs> yeah. like yeah. the people are basically little like blobby stick people <laughs> like oh. and they, and they're like if you zoom right down in, then they're slightly better. But at the same time, it's like they're, they never really give you a reason to interact with the world at street level. Mm. Um, like you can very much like um, like Roller Coaster Tycoon. You can click on a specific person and it'll give you like this is their background. This is their job. Um, this is what how they're feeling. This is what they're thinking. But like you never need to get down on that granular of a level. Like it felt like in Roller Coaster Tycoon, you could, if you saw a whole bunch of people that were upset at one part of your park, you could click on them and then they'd be like, hey, this washroom is disgusting or, oh my God, that roller coaster went too fast or was too scary or whatever. And you could make a change to your park and fix a problem. But there isn't that kind of feedback from any of these people. Like they never get icons over their heads saying like, ah, I'm hungry or ah, I'm thirsty or, you know, like anything like that. Or I don't have access to power or any of the other things that could be pissing them off. Um, so you never really need to click on one individual blob and you never need to be down at street level ever. Um, and there's also no like so you have, like I said at the beginning, you have like a main character that you play, the town leader character, which you get to like name at the beginning, but then it doesn't really do anything afterwards. Um, and that one specific character moves like 25 times faster than everybody else. If they go to build a building, it's like almost instantly complete. Um, and if they like go and salvage stuff, they have an inventory size and then they can just run back and forth between. And again, they move faster than everybody else. So like basically anything that the town leader does goes really quickly. Anything that your citizens do goes really slowly, but is automated. But then there's nothing to say like, hey, guess what? While you've been off doing these other things and building these other buildings and trying to staff these different places, because um, you get workers like same as like Frostpunk and you have to say like my five engineers are going to go here. My other workers are going to go here, whatever. So if your town leader person is 
inactive, it's like it's really bad for your game. It's really detrimental. But there's nothing that pops up and says like, hey, your leader is not doing anything right now. And there's also no action queue. So I can't just say like, hey, you go fill up your inventory and empty your inventory over and over and over again until this salvage source is gone. Um, like you literally have to sit there and watch them, their little blobby <laughs> run back and forth and back and forth between and you have to click like salvage this and then it'll pop up and say your leader's inventory is full and then you have to say click on the storage thing deliver supplies and then they'll go and deliver supplies and then it just doesn't tell you anything and doesn't flash anything up and doesn't do anything and then you go oh wait my leader's not doing anything go click salvage like it just it's very tedious and again, like there's there's some tools that I feel as someone who plays a lot of these simulation games, there's some kind of basic tools that I feel are missing here um, that have a lot to do with like resource gathering and also just management. Like they give you ways to like view places that have because um, you can say like if um if a building will function at full capacity when there's four workers, you have the option to basically set it to like 75, 50 or 25 percent or zero percent capacity by like clicking a little lock that basically says, like, do not allow people to work here. Um, and you do that to kind of manage your workforce. But like you have a button down at the bottom you can push to bring up any buildings that have basically locked uh, locked jobs in case you have workers that are like more people have migrated migrated to your city. So you have workers without jobs. Um, so if you see your unemployment rising, you can open up some jobs to give them something to do, which is all fine and dandy. But again, like they give you that functionality to to kind of cycle through those buildings, but then don't extend the same functionality to cycle through buildings like without power or, you know, like there's also nothing that pops up and says like, hey, you only have housing for 75% of your like your people. You might want to build some more houses like there's no interface for that. You just have to like click on a building that you know is a house and then it'll say as part of the building information, it'll say, hey, this is a house. By the way, you only have enough houses to house 75% of your population. You might want to build more. And I'm like, oh, if I hadn't thought to click on the house, I would have had no idea that that was even an issue. So, yeah, I mean, it it definitely has its faults. I would say it's like mixed at best. And I'm not 100 percent sure that I'm comfortable. Like I've now I've played it too long to get a refund on it. But like their take on some social issues is like super like 1960s level thinking. And I'm not a fan of it at all. So I kind of don't really want to support this developer, if I'm honest. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of issues with this game. And I mean, you were saying earlier that Ryan's so positive and loves everything. I could probably say safely that I don't like this game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I looking at the screenshots um, and some of the video on their Steam page, um, it should be noted it's a it's a $14 Canadian game. It's 20% off right now. So it is the lower price certainly doesn't it's on excuse. the lower end yeah for sure it, it, yeah and it doesn't excuse like some of the the issues that you listed with you know how they um they yeah it doesn't cost stuff. any money not to be a dick yeah exactly <laughs> they should be they, they should work on that and but the other thing too is there's this very basic thing that needs to be in modern you know resource management games like like this one like imagine earth like frostpunk and that is 
a solid UI in order to make it so you have all the tools at your disposal. Like I think when StarCraft added the, hey, one of your drones isn't working, that was like, you can't go back, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you have idle workers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> idle workers. And and that's a critical thing for, for a game like, like these. And looking at the UI for Atomic Society, it really feels like they dropped the ball on the look and feel and the usability of the UI mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's where... Well, and there aren't know. very many building options, honestly. Like, there's two kinds of housing that you can do. Like, so you can build a research building, but then the research building only has, like, eight or ten options, I think. And then that only adds eight or ten buildings to your total suite of buildings. So there isn't even really that much of, like, a, a research thing to be done. And again, the research doesn't actually take anything except for time. It takes like in-game days. And that doesn't really take very long because days don't have much of an impact, you know? Like there's even like parts where it'll say like you can't enact another law for 10 minutes. And it's like, okay, but that means 10 real-time minutes where you're measuring everything else in in-game days. So that from a society perspective could be anything from like a year if I'm on speed six, or it could be like a month if I'm on speed one, like that doesn't make any sense. So again, yeah, it's, it has some, some design flaws for sure. And especially when you're talking about a simulation game in a genre that is now like pretty saturated, you really have to do something different to stand out. And I think atomic society is standing out for, I think all the wrong reasons. And they're just, are better things to play if you're looking for a sim game. So tell me about uh, your thoughts on Imagine Earth, because you've got it in the show notes, which I'm super stoked about because I really enjoyed Imagine Earth. So what are how are you feeling about that? Let's let's start talking about a, a sim game we like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I also wanted to note um, that you, we mentioned Frostpunk a lot, and I think Frostpunk is is still one of the best, you know, resource management sim games that I've ever played. And that's by 11-Bit Studios. And just a quick plug, 11-Bit Studios is going to be unveiling their next game tomorrow. Um, <gasps> and it, it, it very much looks like oil in the snow type stuff. So they've sworn up and down. It's not a sequel to Frostpunk, but uh, maybe a spiritual successor. Fingers crossed. So, uh, Stay tuned for that uh, Thursday. When you're listening to this, it'll probably already be out. So uh, we'll be talking about it next week and yeah, maybe definitely. <laughs> devoting the whole show to it. You never know. Uh, you never know. But um, yeah, I uh, was able to get a code from the developer for Imagine Earth because when you described it, it sounded like one of those games that um, I would really very much love to play, but know full well that it would eat up pretty much all my time and would make me have to play PC games. Um, and and we, we all know my thoughts on my personal feelings on playing PC games. I love my PC, but I just, I don't have a lot of patience for PC gaming, but <laughs> Imagine Earth was one of those games. Like, I think I can, uh, I think I can make an exception. And I, honestly, next week I have another PC game to talk about. So I'm kind of, I've kind of flipped the script. Yes. Yeah. And uh, really what's... One of us, one of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, what allowed me to do it is I, I hooked up my computer to my uh, TV and I've I've been playing Imagine Earth primarily with a controller. And I'm guessing you played primarily with mouse and keyboard, right? When you played it? Yes, I yeah. did. Which, again, seems like the same way to do it. But uh, they had controller support. I figured, hey, let's give it a shot. 
And if you don't remember our past episode when we talked about Imagine Earth, it's essentially, you know, the corporate world has expanded into the stars and you are colonizing these planets and you're dealing with other corporations, you're dealing with other, you know, alien life forms, both, you know, um, inhabitants of that planet and uh, people also looking to colonize from other planets. So they're like, there's... There's a lot there. There, you know, early on in the game, I've, I've primarily played the campaign. I've I've made it all the way through, including the the second area as well. That's how I knew this thing would would latch on. I'm not even going to touch endless yet because I know that'll be <laughs> endless. But uh, I'm, I'm giving myself some time there. But I I did beat all of the campaign stuff except for the last one, uh, which I it was they ramp up difficulty in that story mode. And very much early on, it starts, like you said, like it's just, hey, we're looking to colonize this planet, like get to know the ropes, that sort of thing. And they don't really get into the more advanced stuff with, uh, with you know, climate change and stuff. But they do warn mm-hmm. you that if you're not careful, you can, you can heat things up. You can do damage, yeah. Exactly. And I really dug that pace that they set up at the beginning. And it really felt like, and I still feel this, that the game really prioritizes just setting up your base like base building and just coexisting with uh the planet with you know your fellow corporations now this is early on um and i really dug that because again like i'm i just like to build my base and i would build the coolest base possible and as the campaign progresses it, it they do start to introduce like um some more combative stuff like there are pirates and alien invasions and uh as the campaign went further there was a couple other like things that were constantly attacking so that got a bit frustrating because again i really liked the other side of it which was literally just building up your your base and working within the confines of each planet and the special scenarios they've set up um but for the most part i was able to finish everyone pretty well except for the last one where it was probably more aligned with what endless mode would be where it's basically like here's a planet they basically called it earth 2 and but we're going to put a bunch of hostile corporations on here and see how you do and immediately like the planet was overrun with you know people claiming territory and i didn't realize this but i guess if you don't protect your your uh your boundaries like other corporations if they declare war on you can just start like taking over your land your territory yes yeah (laughs) and steal your buildings too so i'm wondering like why am i losing power food and resources oh right (laughs) because this person that i bought a bunch of shares of uh because i tried to buy them out and i guess to buy them out you have to like literally buy 100 percent yes yeah (laughs) you know especially when they only have one city so if they have one city you have to have 100 percent of their shares so you like it's like i said it's all corporations so you can play the numbers game and in this final bonus map that was available in the game, I noticed that all the other corporations basically sold all their shares in their own company to give them an influx of cash to be able to build right away. So it was basically a land grab. So I'm sitting here like, oh, I got to keep all my shares because I hate sort of selling all my shares and stuff. I don't want people to own my company. Then all of a sudden I noticed like, oh, everyone's expanding really quick. (laughs) It's because they sold their company so they could just build a bunch of stuff. And then I'm sitting here like, oh, I've just been buying everybody up, but it's not really helping uh, because I can't really take over anything. But when you do have enough shares in another company, you can literally just tap a button 
and take over that company. Um, especially if they have multiple cities, which splits their, their share, the share percentage you need to, to take them over. So that was like, it's, there's a whole other layer there that I've never really experienced Yeah, in a strategy a game. Hostile takeover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never experienced it personally either, but like, you know, I've never owned a company that could be taken over, <laughs> but, um, we're not publicly traded here at the gamers Inn, So don't, don't get any funny ideas. <laughs> um, but uh, it's. It was a really interesting take. And and again, like I know I mentioned and kind of dropped it uh, with the controller support, but the controller support is really is really well implemented. Like you can access everything. There's some, you know, on a mouse and keyboard, which would just be move a mouse over and click a button. There's some shortcuts that you have to use, but essentially everything uh, for those shortcuts, everything around the screen is all mapped to the X button. You bring up the X button and it brings up this radial menu. And then you can kind of go to whatever's, you know, whatever you want. So if you want to get to your resources pane and sort of, you know, tab through to see where all your resources are at, you could do that. Or you can go into the tech tree. And some of them are shortcutted to the D-pad, which works quite well. Yeah, it did feel when I was playing it on mouse and keyboard, it felt like if it wasn't designed specifically for controller, it was at least designed with the controller in mind, like possibly even like controller first, just because of those radial menus. Like that was it it worked okay on mouse and keyboard, but it wasn't as like mouse and keyboardy as I'm used to, I guess. It definitely whenever you see a radial menu like that, it always feels to me like they're thinking about a controller. Um, so I'm I'm glad that it was as smooth as you as you found it because that was like my number one question when I was playing it is I was like, you know, were these controls even designed with mouse and keyboard in mind? Because this feels like a, a made for console title. Not in a bad way, just as a as kind of like a oh Oh, you don't say kind of moment. <laughs> yeah, it works really well on a controller. And so I've been playing on the TV with the computer hooked up and, and, and I bounce back and forth, you know, I've been playing in the office as well. And, uh, you, once you get used to the controller options, it, it really, it really does click. And, you know, you have the ability to sp- uh, speed up time, you know, you can slow it right down, you can speed it up. And, uh, I think that's where my brain really gets into the weeds is when I try to play at 4x speed. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it's basically like, well, I just have to like power through this and get this done. I think that's how I was able to finish like all the maps so quickly because I just play it at, at 4x and probably why I lost the last last battle. The last map, um, I ended up losing and the global warming started and basically flooded the whole map. But in the process, I thought I had it because I, I took over the person that was buying all their shares. And I thought, oh, that'll surely give me enough victory points to win. Uh, but no, someone else won. But then we also screwed the planet. So it's like, well, who cares who <laughs> so won? Nobody won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody, you know, your colony is being flooded. It's like, yeah, no shit. The polar ice caps have melted. We're, we're all doomed. Um, and that was sort of the first time you recognize like, sort of the effects of global warming in the game. Cause before that it's like, ah, oh, there'll be more desert tiles. There'll be more tornadoes. And, and those are more simpler to, you know, attack. Cause you just go and repair the buildings and it's, it's not as big a deal, but um, I really liked, you know, the mechanics of, you know, the, the research tech table or whatever it is, like um, when you're doing the campaign, it carries over. So in your first yeah. map, you are trying to figure out like, Oh, what should I research first? But don't really worry about it in the campaign because by like the f- 
six or seven planet, you've pretty much got everything. Yeah, and I did not realize that you, that it carried over at first. I was like, I, I found that to be so confusing. And then I eventually, like two or three maps in, was like, oh, okay, wait, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like you you kind of like learn it but then at the beginning of every map you say okay i want to of these things i've learned i want to start with these four or whatever um and yeah i didn't uh i didn't get that for (laughs) for more maps than i care to admit well yeah because the other side of it is the tech right so the tech you have to license every time and i mean it's kind of weird because uh oh wait maybe it's the tech i'm i'm thinking of i haven't played it in a month or more so yeah the tech resets every planet and i it must be like the way they explain it away with lore is like well you license it for that planet so you have to relicense it you don't you're like basically everything's like patented so you have to license it for every planet and that'll which is good because that allows you to basically say like when you you know go to let so you start you, you lay down your city district and then you say, okay, you need power, food, and resources, and you start with power, and you say, okay, what? When you mouse over mouse or controller over one of the power options, you can choose to license it right from the build menu, so you don't need to go through a bunch of tabs. And when you mouse over it uh, from the build menu, it'll show you the relevant tiles and whether you know that specific building is applicable to that planet. So when you get solar panels, if there aren't a lot of like um, desert tiles or, you know, uh, uh, you know, a good sunlight, uh, or like with wind, you needed like coastal like areas were better. Yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of see that. And, and there were a couple instances where I would choose something like, and I thought, oh, this must work here. Cause I see some trees, like, uh, I think the logging, uh, the logging resource building. Um, I chose that a couple times, like, oh, there's, there's nothing, there's no bonus. Like you can lay it down and it'll produce resources, but if you apply it to specific tiles, you get a bonus, which you'll need because if you're spending money, you want those bonus resources so you can then trade them. And, you know, by the end of the camp, but near the, at least by the end of the first galaxy, so you start in Andromeda, then you move into another galaxy. And, and that's all that's in the game for now, although there is room to grow. Um, you You do quickly realize like, there is like a build order that you have to follow in terms of things you're always going to need. So, you know, power, food, resources, then like resource buildings like your warehouse so that you can harvest materials and your helipad or your heliport so that you can have traders come in every five minutes so that you can sell your resources to get more you know money and and then a workshop so you can build stuff that you can use. So like those are your critical building types and buildings you're going to build right away. And once you get that sort of down, you've pretty much got the map started. And then it's about, you know, yeah, contending with everything else on the planet. My favorite, you know, maps in that game were when I was working with other corporations that were nice. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> uh, I think the takeover stuff um, is interesting, but like, I didn't like confrontation in this game <laughs> as much as I liked it in other, you know, strategy games. And, and I know you're laughing because, oh, of course, Ryan, the super nice guy, doesn't Ryan like confrontation. Doesn't like con- yeah. <laughs> I'll buy. Look, I, the one the one confrontation I liked was when I just bought all their shares and I basically Wall Streeted their ass. Right. That was my <laughs> idea of fun confrontation in the game. But uh, 
at the and the last map I was doing where I was basically like confused as to why all my buildings were disappearing, that wasn't fun. And I don't know if I want to go through that map again because I got pretty far. <laughs> was that the map that brought the idea of AI into it? No, that one that one I uh that one I think is like the last map on the first galaxy. Right. And it, it is essentially like there's this AI that's attacking and they'll show up and it's sort of a build upon sort of the pirates and there's like Yeah, these... it just because that one kind of comes in and like infects your buildings, right? And then takes them over for its own. So Yeah. Yeah, that one was a little more predictable because it, it essentially they would you could spawn see it coming, yeah. And and there were towers that you could build to to basically afford it. And I mean, here's the thing: yeah. it's, it's a deep game. There's a lot to it. And if you're like me and you're not reading every tooltip that pops up, I probably miss the idea that oh, you're gonna want to build. You know, for the whole game, I'm like, I wonder what these towers do. Like they kind of like expand your territory faster than claiming land. But there's got to be something else to it. Turns out they're probably used to stop people from taking over your territory because without having to claim it so essentially what happened was before i realized what was going on the corporation that had sort of declared war on me had just built a bunch of towers on their borders which then creeped into my borders and i and, and i foolishly built stuff right on the border thinking like oh i'm gonna block them like no doesn't matter if you put a building there they can take it over it it, it doesn't really make sense to me like i don't see how that's a thing i think it's kind of like uh it reminds me of like religion or cultural pressure that you're able to put on in civilizations where like if somebody else is like more influential than you then some of your towns will like defect um so it's definitely there's precedent for that kind of a mechanic in in other games like civilization is the one that comes right to my mind but mm. um yeah, like that's what it reminded me of anyways is, yeah, those it's it's not like religious pressure. It's money pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just it didn't it didn't really click with me as much, but it was only one map out of the entire um, campaign that really wasn't wasn't as fun. But like the build up to that moment was was fun. I think there was just some confusion on my part. I, I like building my bases. I like seeing the resources go up. I like having more money than everybody else. And I think like 90% of that game is that. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And I, and I guess it's on Xbox as well. And that's probably where the heavy controller support comes from, obviously, because it'll run on Xbox. So if I think it, someone was, I think it was on another podcast. They were talking about how if you buy it on, it's got Xbox Play Anywhere. So if you buy it on the Microsoft Store, you get it on, on Xbox as well. I, I'm should probably look into that and uh yeah it's a it's a really cool game i alongside you recommend it and uh yeah there's just that one moment at the end of the game that kind of felt uh a little bad as like <laughs> you know it's saying like you lost and this guy's like gloating and as he's gloating uh it, it, in the background you see the planet as it slowly slowly pans you just see like the water just swallowing all the land it's like did you really win because i think you screwed us all, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, but I really like the game. I, I've had a lot of fun with it and uh, I look forward to seeing more content. I guess they've patched it a couple times, so they're still in active development. Um, I could see them adding, you know, more free galaxies, maybe some DLC. So there's a lot of room for expansion. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it because, oh man, I had such a good time in that game. That was one of those things that I just stumbled across in Steam and tried and turned out really well. So yeah, you know, summer hits, summer misses. <laughs> this so, was a hit. Um, this was a hit and I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. And uh, so did you want to, do we have time? I don't even know how long we've been going yet, but uh, do you want to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 2? I, I was just going to say I finished it. That's it. I finished <laughs> it. it. It's That's done. Just it. You're just done. I've talked like about 100% it. 100% done. Like all the side quests and everything oh, or just okay, the story. No, I'm not done. 100%. Okay. Come on now. I, I so, finished. So, okay. So you finished the story. You haven't finished it. <laughs> Look, credits rolled. I have no intention on going back and doing the other side stuff because here's the thing i'll say this about xenoblade chronicles 2 oh and that's we didn't put this in the news so i'll mention it here as well um but anyways xenoblade chronicles 2 the side content is uh kind of abysmal in comparison to the main quest because the main quest mm. is all voice acted it's got custom animations and cutscenes, and then some of the side quests are just like voice boxes of people talking way too much about problems <laughs> that are not necessarily as important. Way too small. <laughs> Maybe some of them are important, but I, yeah, like I think, you know, I bought the expansion pass and the first one was like, we ran out of, the shipment of coconuts is late. We got to go find it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to save the worlds here, guys. And you <laughs> oh, lost your guys, coconuts. I'm so sorry. I have turned Ryan. I ruined him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It got me through a 90 hour game much well, I, it still took 90 hours, but it could have taken yeah, 120. Could have, I was going to say it could have been 200. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, and you know, I've obviously been updating everybody on uh, the Patreon mini show. There's a little update quarter I've been doing. Uh, so uh, I've talked about it for months on end to those folks. And uh, the news that broke this week was that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is in active development and it and it could be announced soon with a release date in uh they were targeting the end of this year but it, it has likely slipped so the ending of the trilogy and no i will likely not go back and play the first one because yes i did not finish that one either um well i think you have to oh yeah i Maybe. think you do i mean like it's a trilogy which is the thing i didn't know um and <laughs> if you don't know like that would be like playing mass effect 3 without playing mass effect 1 i mean who does that yeah who would skip the first entry <laughs> in a you know much loved trilogy and and like here's the thing there's no excuse because they just did a definitive edition on switch so you know i don't know we'll we'll see if xenoblade chronicles 3 gets announced and it's like hey we don't know when it's coming out maybe i can be convinced to go play the first one again i bought it on wii you know way back in the day and uh that was when that game was like never going to come out. And then there was this huge write-in campaign to bring it over to North America. And uh, it did come out in limited stock. I, I, I don't even know if I have, I might have the Wii copy somewhere, but I'm not playing that. I would likely get it on Switch. I'm, I don't really want to hook up the Wii again. Um, but yeah, I finished Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I will probably more likely play the expansion that I bought because there's a whole other prequel story. Um full full separate campaign um not 90 hours thankfully <laughs> um but i will likely do that before i dip into xenoblade chronicles definitive edition but uh, i'll wait for a sale there but yeah i really enjoyed it it was a great game had a solid ending it goes places in the last chapter like the whole game you're like trying to get to elysium which is a you know sort of like basically you know heaven in that world 
and uh when you get there it's it's not what you expect so uh mm. yeah it, it ends really well intriguing yeah you, i would say you should go you should go finish it but it, it's a 90 hour game so yeah you should go play mass effect 2 yeah oh my god like <laughs> i really do feel like i just have this like huge backlog of single player stuff that's like just sitting there waiting for me to play it so i mean yeah it yeah I'll get to it eventually. I really, really will. And I mean, I have a month off of school now. I'm so excited. So my summer semester, I just finished my exams yesterday. So I am all set to go. I'm done. I have a month where I don't have any school, which means I have my evenings and weekends back. I'm a film with games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so yeah, I might actually uh, tackle some of that backlog because you are you are so much further ahead of me you're in xenoblade in mass effect in skyward sword like you're just man you're crushing it and i am i am falling behind so i'm excited to have some time to catch up um wanted to take a moment now to thank our newest patron adam thank you so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash the gamers in uh, adam is our patron of the month this month so if you would like your name here again you can support the show over at patreon.com slash the gamers in uh, that brings us to the news section. We've got some updates for you on the Activision Blizzard situation. Um, there have been a few developments in the past week, which I will completely admit is more than I ever thought was going to happen. Um, so the uh, basically, so uh, there is there is an executive, Frances Townsend. And uh, she was on the, I think she's on the Activision side. She's not on the Blizzard side. I'm not sure exactly what her position was, um, but she was the head of the company's women's network. And she posted a lot, a lot of things um, on Twitter. She, I believe, has since left the platform and deactivated her account, but um She's basically like she gave a really terrible statement. Uh, she's been very anti everything, anti worker, anti union, anti women, anti everything. She called the state's um, lawsuit distorted and untrue, where there have been just story on top of story on top of story from uh, employees inside the company kind of refuting that, saying it's absolutely true. And here's the receipts. So. Um, she has now stepped down from the company's women's network. So she has not left the company, which I think a lot of people want to see. But the thing is, um, Activision Blizzard has kind of stacked their executive with a lot of, um, shall we say, uh, right wing corporate first uh, have done some terrible things in their lives type people, of which she definitely is one of those. And I don't see them forcing her to step down like she's she is there for a reason. She is there to protect the corporation, to, you know, take the hits and to put all this kind of stuff down. And yeah, she she is definitely one of the people that I would say, um, like firing her along with there's probably four or five others uh, would very much send a we're actually interested in change message. And I mean, this is a start, but it's definitely a, a teeny tiny half a little footstep. <laughs> like it's not even a full step in the right direction. Like, yeah, uh, it's almost just like a token action, right? Like, oh, look what we did. We're changing. It's like, no, if you fired her, that would be a start. Like, 
But I mean, she she never should have been in that role in the first place because she posted a lot of stuff about like anti whistleblower and how that harms companies and all the rest of it. And she's just been truly awful. And she was definitely part of the culture within the company that like kind of forced silence onto the employees and made it feel like they couldn't speak up for themselves and stand up for themselves. So, yeah, she she had no right to be on that like network and committee in the first place. So now she's gone. Thumbs up ish. I mean, I say thumbs up ish because in the end, it, it was an obvious change that should have been made. Like she shouldn't have been there in the first place. Um, the idea basically of having an executive on those committees is that they're supposed to champion the cause of the workers on the committee, right? So they're supposed to be an advocate and they're supposed to raise concerns from that group up to the executive level. And she was kind of playing the opposite role there. Instead of being the executive sponsor and raising their issues to the higher ups, she was instead like listening and quashing them. Yeah. Which is like, so. is not what Blizzard Activision needs right now. And I think, no, I think her stepping down from that position was one of the demands of, you know, uh, Activision Blizzard employees, but but yeah, with again, the walkout, yeah, not not uh, all of their demands, and and certainly not the most important ones. Like like mm-hmm. you said, it very much feels like a let's throw them a bone type thing, yeah. and she doesn't lose any money. You know, she doesn't get any money uh, by you know she was fired. I think she probably gets like a bonus for being fired, and even more if she's forced to resign but it's one of those things is like she's not going to go away um there's been a lot of sort of talk um from activision blizzard employees as well as ubisoft employees they are starting to organize i think Mm -hmm. the longer this goes um where you know management and uh, the board do nothing um the more organized these employees are going to feel like they have to get and are going to get. And when you have such a large network of developers that are building some of the biggest games, you, you can't, you have to take this seriously, right? Like you have to meet with them. You have to talk to them. You have to make these changes because again, like you can't, this isn't a development studio of 20 people where you can just fire all the people who assigned union cards, right? But they did bring in a union busting or a firm, a law firm that is known as a union busting law firm. I believe Amazon has used them in the past. Yeah. Um, and so they did bring them in to be the impartial third party. I am air quoting and eye rolling so hard right now. Um, and to do an internal review of like all of the the claims of the lawsuit and everything else and and trying to to make Activision Blizzard more or like I guess less discriminatory and everything else. And you know, like they're when when you hire when you as a corporation hire an anti-union law firm, then you're sending a message right there. Like they're not impartial. And I mean, the fact that the corporation is the one hiring them in the first place means, again, that they're not impartial because they're being paid by the corporation. So they definitely, obviously, have a bias towards the side that's paying their bills. So there's always going to be that kind of um, conflict of interest there. Um, So, I mean, it gets to the point where unionizing does feel like 
the correct way to go because they don't have necessarily all of the kind of like labor laws with actual teeth. <laughs> I mean, they obviously have some <laughs> because they're being sued by the state of California, but you know, like uh, unions provide that at uh, that extra level of um, worker advocacy, shall we say? Um, and there absolutely is strength in numbers. So we'll have to see how the how the whole situation plays out. But um, you're right; that was a demand from from the workers for sure. And Ubisoft employees now are are kind of rallying beside Blizzard employees as well, or Activision Blizzard employees, I should say. I, I I'm so used to talking about just Blizzard guys. So I mean, but obviously all of this applies to to Activision Blizzard as a as a larger company. This is not Blizzard specific stuff. Um, the uh, I guess SOC, which is um, the SOC Investment Group. So I'm a little bit unclear uh, who who these guys actually are and how much, um, I guess, like uh, influence they wield or power they wield. But um, the SOC Investment Group, who are Blizzard shareholders and they are also advocates for ethical business practices, have basically written an open letter to Blizzard um, that's saying um, you haven't done anything that we want you to do. Um, we are calling on the board to make some very specific changes, which I think is good. Um, the employees calling for specific action points is like basically... Calling for change is always fine, but it's a whole lot easier to have a conversation and to push people to do things if you give them like actual action points, right? So, you know, saying, not just saying we're walking out because we're mad, but we're walking out because we're mad and this is what we want to see, bullet points, one, two, three sort of thing. And so um, now the SOC investment group has essentially done the same thing, has, um, from a shareholder perspective, said, hey, we also want these things. Um, they are calling for Activision Blizzard to increase board diversity and equality by adding a woman director. And by the end of 20 or sorry, by the end of 2021, and also to committing to a gender balance on the board by 2025. Uh, they've also asked to claw back bonuses from executives that are found to have engaged in or enabled abusive behavior, award no bonuses for 2021, and to make future bonuses contingent on um, the company as a whole hitting milestones for diversity and equality. So they want that added to um, the bonus calculation. And then finally, they've said um, they want a company-wide equity review. Um, is similar to, and then they name a whole bunch of corporations like Facebook and, and Starbucks and stuff that have had to go through similar processes. Um, and they want it to address the full range of concerns, which is not just uh, gender specific. Obviously, they also include um, gender identity, sexuality, and race as all falling under this equity review. Um, and then, yeah, so those are those are kind of the um, the key points that the SOC investment group has uh, has outlined for actions that they would like to see Blizzard take. I don't know. Again, I don't know how much um, power they actually wield, though, there, because there have been all these calls for action from all these different places um, in the earnings call for Activision Blizzard that happened last week. Um, they did basically, you know, repeat the normal corporate bleh, stuff 
and said, you know, oh, all of this behavior has no place at Activision Blizzard, blah, 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 blah. It's like, um, all of that is Activision Blizzard. (laughs) Like, hate to break it to you guys, but, um, what they said is that they'll be a company that sets an example for this in the industry. I'm like, you are. You're an example of what not to do. Like, So anyways, um, they did have their earnings call. And within that earnings call, they did say that they were going to start um, removing people, firing people who like at the management level who either participated in this kind of uh, behavior or allowed it to happen, um, whether it was on the discrimination side of the lawsuit or the harassment side of the lawsuit. Um, they're they've basically committed to cleaning house, which normally I just say, yeah, okay, whatever. Except that we did actually have um, major players let go this week. Um, so we saw the firing of. Um, okay, hang on, <laughs> I need I need to find them all. Okay, um, so. The let's see, uh, Diablo 4 game director is it Louis or Lewis? Uh, I think it's I think it's Lewis, yeah. So, Lewis Barriga, Barriga, um, Jesse McCree, who the Overwatch character is named after, who was who is, um, a level designer, lead level designer, and Jonathan LaCraft, who is a World of Warcraft designer, uh, all pretty big names um, in the, uh, at least Blizzard space, uh, have all been let go this week. And there has been no actual statement as to why, which is problematic in its own sense. It's like if you let them go for discrimination or harassment or as a result of the lawsuit, like, you should say that. (laughs) But anyways... um, a couple of those people were actually in the photo that was published of the Cosby suite um, in the Kotaku article that came out uh, the week that I was on vacation. So I guess last week. Honestly, this this lawsuit situation feels to me like it's been going on for like six months yeah. and it's been like two weeks. Like, I can't believe it like broke on July 22nd and it's only August 11th. Like, what <laughs> it feels like we've been dealing with this and talking about this for so much longer. But anyways, um, so yeah, the, the Kotaku article that broke about the Cosby suite specifically, um, the, I think two of the three that were fired today, uh, were in that photo. So I think it's not too big of a leap to say that that is probably the reason. Um, another member in the photo was confirmed to be on leave. Um, I forget who it is. Uh, Corey Stockton, I think. Um, am I remembering that right? Yeah, it was Corey. Yeah, he's yeah. the one. Yeah, he's the one that's on 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 undisclosed leave for an undisclosed amount of time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like. Four pretty big name people that are almost household names, if you've been following Blizzard, um, who have been either let go or put on leave. And the three that left today or the three that were announced today, Blizzard did put out a statement that just said, we confirm that these three people are no longer with the company. They didn't say why. They didn't say, you know, anything else or no, no other details, which might also be stuff tied up with the lawsuit. Again, I am not a lawyer, so I don't know who can say what and when. Uh, I just feel like if they are very specifically committing to firing management that enabled harassment and discrimination that they would say they were fired for enabling harassment and discrimination. (laughs) Like, but again, not a lawyer. So 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how that would work. It seems, yeah, it seems like they are, because I mean, like Diablo 4 isn't even out yet, and they fired the game director. Yeah, and Jesse McCree, uh, he's credited with Diablo 4 as well. I think he's a, yeah. now the article says he's a Blizzard uh, lead level designer, but his, uh, one of the photos I saw in the Kotaku article they link is like a marketing shot of him doing Diablo four interviews. So again, like, um, you know, Blizzard, if, if we look at Blizzard games, uh, there's really not a whole lot going on in terms of new releases. You have the Diablo remaster, which is facing its, um, fair share of concerns as well. That's out in September. Um, they just announced today that they're not going to have land support for it, which again, for a game that came out in the nineties, land support was kind of your deal. So like, there's a deeper issue there but i i think like you look at overwatch 2 you look at diablo 4 both those games now have suffered a loss of and i'm not you know putting um jeff kaplan in with the lawsuit because he left well we don't know but he left uh he left before all this news broke but uh yeah and that's and that's one of those things that um like there there are a lot of people in particular that left around like the formation of uh Dreamhaven and a couple of other studios that kind of like were formed out of people who were high up at Blizzard throughout all of this cuz it's like this all the stuff and we talked about this when we first talked about it um like none of this stuff came up in the last 6 months like this is the culture that was built at Blizzard over, you know, 30 years of operation, like decades, literally. Um, So, you know, like it kind of makes you like side eye some of those people and be like, okay, this investigation has been ongoing for two years. It was fairly well known from what I have gathered. Um, And so, you know, how many of those people left before they could be fired? Again, I'm not throwing like muck at anyone who has left or pointing any fingers or whatever that haven't already been pointed. I know nothing about Kaplan. I'm just saying there have been a lot of departures lately. Some of those probably have perfectly good reasons. Some of them possibly more shady reasons. And we're not going to know until this lawsuit has uh, completely finished up. Right. So, but yeah, Definitely side-eyeing and and sketchy, (laughs) some of those departures. But yeah, these three today were definitely firings. So I think we can we can glean from that, uh, from the messaging at the at the at the call, which again, like I don't I think what I'm really struggling with with this news is like I don't want to give Blizzard any credit. Like, I don't want to go like, okay, good, you're actually acting on things because they haven't actually told me why. Like, maybe Diablo 4, because this is like the 18th iteration of what Diablo 4 is going to be. Maybe this iteration is total shit and they fired the game director because it's a bad game. It could have absolutely nothing to do with the lawsuit. So it's uh, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, I, I don't want to give Blizzard any credit for doing anything right at this point. Like, I really don't think that they are. So especially when they're not coming out and saying, see, see, we did it. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Did we even talk about Jeb ste- stepping down? Did you guys talk about that last week? Because he's gone, too. So Yeah, yeah, we did. I mean, like, the, the thing is about Blizzard, like, you can't, Blizzard Activision, you can't give them credit for doing right until you know, the terrible workplace conditions end and they can't end until you, you discuss with your employees and meet 
some or all of their demand all of their demands are, are perfectly reasonable no the union word is not even used in there so if you're worried about them unionizing the best way to get them to unionize is to ignore them and yeah. they're doing a stand-up job of either not addressing the issues or doing things they think will get the public on their side but i think at this point like I don't think anyone's defending Activision Blizzard at this stage. No, I think the public is like 100% on the side of the employees. And I think that is um, is and has taken a lot of different forms. There are some people who have decided not to give Blizzard any more money, which is a personal decision that I completely support. There are other people who are saying that they, you know, they enjoy the games and they want to support the employees that are staying and trying to enact change. There are some employees who just can't do it anymore and are leaving. And I have one friend who has worked there for like over 15 years and has dealt with so much crap. And she just got an offer to go somewhere else. And I am so happy for her. And like, I think you you can't fault anyone for wanting to stay and try to make a difference and or if you're on the outside you know like continuing to support the company as we're seeing change and as we're seeing you know employees asking you to still support the work they do because there's a lot of people that work at activision blizzard who really believe in the games that they're making and really feel that they are moving gaming in a positive direction as a whole and i don't want to you know fault those those people so, yeah, I mean, like, it's a very complicated issue and everyone's going to deal with it in their in their own way. And I don't think we can we can fault anyone for their way of thinking in any part of this whole situation, you know, unless your thinking is women aren't people, in which case, go fuck yourself. That's the only like viewpoint in all of this that I just can't get behind. So, but, you know, everybody else, you know, whether you've decided to you continue to work at blizzard or you're moving away from the company or if you're continuing to play their games or if you're you know part of um, more of like a i don't even necessarily want to call it a boycott because it's not like organized in any way shape or form but if you've decided to withdraw your monetary support i also completely understand that monetarily i don't think that you know we are ever going to make the kind of impact that people are maybe hoping we're going to make i think statements from like the the shareholders are where the monetary pressure is going to come from. So, um, I mean, if you are a Blizzard shareholder, then, I mean, absolutely exercise your right. Because if you own even one share of Blizzard, you can have your voice heard, right? Like, you then become a shareholder. So I think that that's where the pressure probably should come from if we're talking about monetary size. I've never really seen a boycott of a game work necessarily so i don't know i mean i think like being vocal and supportive of the employees on social media as well as you know shareholders putting the monetary pressure it's like it's social pressure and monetary pressure from shareholders is gonna make a difference i think i'm not so sure how like because the thing is it's just really hard even if you write it in your like why I'm leaving Blizzard, why I'm canceling my subscription blurb, like it's it's hard for them to to really say like, oh, we lost a thousand people because of our shitty treatment of women versus we lost a thousand people because our game is bad. Like <laughs> there, I know that there are people that aggregate all of those those reasons and present them to upper management and everything else, but I don't know. I just um don't necessarily i i guess not that i don't know but i think that people leave games in a much larger number and have a much bigger impact when the company has made a bad choice with their game design <laughs> like <laughs> maybe i'm just like 
super cynical, but no. I feel like bad game design decisions will always cause more people to stop playing a game than any sort of social issue, which is unfortunate, but how I view the world. So sorry for that pessimistic end to this Blizzard conversation, but hopefully we'll have more positive news um, going forward. And like I said, um, letting people go, if it is holding up what they said they were going to do at their shareholder meeting in terms of punishing those who are actively involved in the, the negative culture at Blizzard, then great. Let's see more of that. Fire Francis. Let's go. Um, but we are going to end on a little bit more of a positive note because we're going to talk about Pokemon <laughs> and Pokemon Go. It's a, it's kind of a, a good news, bad news sort of thing because like people like Pokemon, so that makes me happy. But um, they're also removing uh, the pandemic changes from Pokemon Go, and that makes me sad. So um, there are a lot of very prominent players who are calling on the company to reconsider the removal of those changes. So... Um, one of the big things that they changed was um, having to actually like physically go to a location to enter a raid. So like we basically from our house can access any of the gyms. And I don't actually know what the range on Pokemon Go is, but it's like if you can see it on your map and click on it, you can raid it, which again, I'm not like I mean, maybe it's like five kilometers. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. It's been so long since I've played the game, although I know that the changes implemented for, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also the weird thing about, hey, you know, the pandemic's over. We're removing these Pokemon Go features. What? It's like everyone has just decided that they're done with COVID and it's over. <laughs> and COVID's like, I'm not done. And everyone's like, la la, fingers and ears, la la la. <laughs> oh, man. The Twitter meme that's going around now, which is essentially what you just played out, is basically fall plans, delta plans. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's one of those things where um, obviously... I'm sure Pokemon Go can look at their revenue, and I know they've said that, you know, Niantic's revenue has, has ballooned even during the pandemic, but they must make even more money by, like, is this, here's the thing I don't understand, is, is this a game design thing where they're like, no, to, we need to reintroduce the true nature of Pokemon Go by making you go specifically to these places as opposed to being able to, you know, check in from your office, or from your home office, it's like, or is it a monetary thing where they can get more money by making you go out to other places? Like, are they losing out on sponsorship deals? Like, I, I don't know. Like, if this makes the game more fun to play, therefore having more players, like, wouldn't you leave it in? Well, that's the thing is, is that I do believe it's it's a more fun game now. I mean, like, we've been playing and Ryan and I were talking before the show, but um, we have a lot of, like, friends that are playing the game, but, like, one is located in Halifax, like, one is over in, like, the Ottawa area of Ontario, we're down in the London area, so, like, we are hours apart by driving or flying, like, in different even, you know, provinces sometimes, and a lot of that has to do with, like, just if you didn't, like, grow up, go to school, like, go to university and now work in the town you were born, there's a really good chance that you have friends that are just all over the place now that you probably, they're your friends, share a lot of interests with. And so through the pandemic, we've been able to, you know, do raids and trades and all kinds of fun stuff with people who aren't with us, 
which means we're actively playing Pokemon Go a whole lot more than we were when it was just, you know, me and Matt able to play just the two of us, right? Like, we enjoyed that, but it only lasted a few months before we were kind of like, well, you know, like, just fell off of it in general. Um, but it's definitely been reignited by the fact that we can play with other friends who also really enjoy Pokemon. So, I mean, Matt plays every day now and has for like basically the pandemic because they did introduce these remote raid passes. And the thing is too, the remote raid passes, they're not like, they're like the other raid passes, except for you don't have to be like standing at the bottom of, of a gym. Like they're still scarce, like they're, and you can buy them in the store. So, I mean, they've got to be generating revenue. I don't really understand why they would kind of like pull back this functionality when it seems to be widely um, just loved by players. And like you still will get like catch more Pokemon and get more items and, you know, fight more diverse raid bosses if you go places but you have the option that if you're stuck at home, if you can't, whether it's pandemic reasons or other, or if your friends like us, your friends are just all over the place, um, then, you know, like you're still going to you're still going to make the money. <laughs> you know, you still get to play. I don't know. It just it seems like such a wild thing for them to to claw back from players because it was so like widely loved. Like no one was like, oh, man, you mean like I can't like just go everywhere all the time and you're you know like i can just chill at home and and raid with my friends like oh that's the worst like no one said that no one said that <laughs> yeah it, it's wild because you know pokemon games in general you know i get it you used to have to be in the same room as your friend and use a link cable but then eventually nintendo a generation late but they did add wi-fi trading and uh, internet battles and all that fun. And they eventually, everything's over the internet now with Pokemon. So I think that I, so basically what's happening is they, there was a big protest and Niantic acknowledged that. And, and they have said like, look, we're going to form an internal team and we're going to include community leaders. I don't know what that means, whether they're bringing in like Pokemon go podcast people or, you know, people who are, are super fans or whatever, but, um, they're going to have a sort of a internal discussion and work on something and have a decision delivered, a final decision delivered by September 1st. So again, like it sounds like they're going to try to address it. Um, but like cynical me is also thinking like, so basically what you're saying is you're going to take three weeks to figure out the best way to say, now nah, we're going back to the normal yeah. way. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I hope it doesn't work out like that. That would make me super sad. <laughs> well, that would be sad. I, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. There could be, you know, I, I say this all the free to play games are weird. You know, there, there are instances where a developer will say, well, let's just put another currency in and it's their idea and it's their way of solving a specific function or, or problem. But then when the player base says like, look, I really would like this game to have this feature i'll even pay you for the premium currency or i'll slowly earn it by grinding through catching x amount of pikachus and i think <laughs> and then turning them into candy right um yeah th the player base is willing to do that like we're the player base will sit there in a free-to-play game and say look i'm giving you permission to add another premium currency to this game so that i can have more fun with it i'm not I'm 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 saying we'll give you money so we can make this more fun and I and I think that's where sometimes developers struggle 
with these games and i play a lot of fire emblem heroes and we see it in that game as well where something could be solved by taking more money or or giving giving us the ability to earn this premium currency to be able to do uh in the case of pokemon go like long form raids and stuff and and they added the raid pass and as you said they charge for it so why not just keep that in there you know yeah keep it as a premium currency yeah keep the source of revenue seems crazy to take it out but i don't know we're not developers i guess maybe we yeah maybe we're missing something here that's a, well that's a bigger kind of conversation to have right because you hear it around world of warcraft craft all the time like you know, players want this, but devs want that. And in the end, it's the devs that always win because it's their game that they're making. So, I mean, you can't like bow to every single player pressure because players don't always know best. And and devs often have reasons for doing things one way or another. But when it gets to the point of like severely negatively impacting your player experience to the point that players leave your game, as I'm sure a lot of people are like if if my husband can't play with his friends in like the Ottawa area and the Halifax area, he's going to stop playing Pokemon Go <laughs> like and and the other like uh, one probably won't because, you know, like he likes to play it with his daughter, which is adorable. Um, but you know, like they, they might lose players and I know for sure Matt's going to be one of them that like, mm. if he can't play with them anymore, like he's just going to not, um, because I've never taken, like Matt is a very all in all out kind of person. So like, I don't play Pokemon go enough and seriously enough to like keep up with him basically. <laughs> so like, I mean, he, he's literally logged in and playing like every single day. And I might remember to go and check like once a week, maybe. And usually that's when he's like, Hey, there's a thing, turn your phone on. Damn it. Yeah, come on. So, yeah, exactly. And so like, I am not a good person for him to play this game with, but his friends in other cities are. So like, I don't know why you would ever want to kind of take that away. It's it's one of those things that like once you open the box, you can't shut it again. But, you know, they're trying to shut it. So we'll, I'm sure that we'll get some sort of insight if they do decide in the end to remove this functionality. I'm sure that they'll, you know, tell us why, whether it'll be like a filtered PR reason or an actual technical reason or like who knows. They might look at it and say, hey, you guys are now getting, say, like XP way faster than you're supposed to and we can't keep up with you you're gonna hit the end of the content and then we're not gonna have anything new for you for a year and then you're gonna get mad at us like that could be a potential developer concern right that people are just burning through content too fast because they don't have to take like real time to go to places right so maybe that's their concern but until they tell us like obviously we can speculate but um i'm looking forward to seeing how this actually plays out in september and and if we um if the community has pressured them enough for them to change their mind, or if we get some sort of answer as to why they've decided to make this change. During a pandemic. <laughs> During a pandemic still. Yeah, that's that's the kind of big elephant in the room, right? It's like, why now? <laughs> We're about to get locked down again, maybe. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I can understand them saying like, and I know when they added them, like, this isn't forever. And I mean, I understand that approach. Right. We were warned. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, if it's a good feature, why wouldn't it be forever? No, exactly. And especially if the player base gets used to it and we're still in a pandemic, um, the whole world plays this game and the whole world is 
all over the place in terms of their their situation dealing with COVID-19. So I think as a responsible um, provider of, of this game, you have to also acknowledge that side of it as well. You can't just say like, no, it's safe to go out now and... Mm-hmm. You know, I get it with vaccines, it makes it safer. But again, like not even everybody has access to the vaccine, right? Like we are very privileged in Canada yes. to have the vaccination rate that we do. Um, and yeah, that's that is a whole other conversation. But yeah, it's it's a really good point. And I'm glad that you made it, Ryan, that like not only are we still in a pandemic with a, you know, 60 or 70 percent vaccination rate or whatever we've got in Canada now, like there's a lot of people. This is a global game. And globally, we are not dealing with the pandemic well. So I think um, that we kind of in North America, we lose that perspective sometimes. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up, that it is still a global issue, a very serious global issue. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at those vaccination numbers for your own country and look at the world, um, I think the world is like 20% vaccinated yeah you know and that's first dose so again you just got to be mindful of those numbers and this just seems like a premature shot across the bow just to kind of check in on the player reaction i think they got the player reaction so yeah (laughs) uh, we should we should revisit this september 1st and see what the result is i imagine it to be not a complete you know, uh, U-turn reversal to like keeping it all in, but probably like a phased approach to being like, we're going to keep some of this work is going to be required. And uh, I can see it not being everything that everyone's asking for, but certainly parts of it. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Absolutely. Uh, And until then, if you guys want to continue the conversation, you can head on over to bit.ly slash TGI discord to chat with us throughout the week. Uh, you can also email us at info at gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us over on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everyone. Yeah.